all these podcasts will be lost like tears and rain. Tears and Time rain. Time to die. <laughs> Roy Batty, R.I.P. Here's a dove. <laughs> yeah, oh, a yeah. Dove. yeah, there's Take gotta the be, dove. it's gotta be like religious imagery or something that I, I'm not getting that's happening there too. There there's is. A, I mean, well, that whole like, but like, why is he in his underwear? Why is he running around in his underwear? It doesn't make any sense. And his father, why have you forsaken me? Right. I mean, is essentially what they're saying to to their creator. Right. So you could you could you could pull out the Christian imagery there too. It's yeah. It's there's a lot there. Right. It's just kind of a mess. Look, there's a reason that of everything that they chose. He pulls a huge rusty nail out of the ground yeah. and puts it for his hand. Oh, yeah. right? right. Like it's Jesus. He's totally yeah. Mm-hmm. Good one. Exactly. But, yeah, but it's like, it, it. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a movie go so spectacularly off the rails as this one does. <laughs> it's just like all of a sudden it's like everyone's screaming and running oh, around. Man. And yeah. it's like, all right, well, this is where we're going. Fingers are getting broken. We're climbing on the outside of buildings. Let's just let's go for it. It's very strange. But so for me, saved by how just stunningly beautiful it is. Yeah. Oh, uh, there was one thing I forgot to mention. I also had to watch a lot of it with subtitles on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I, went, I was on a plane and I had AirPods and it was like, well, there's only so far you can go with this. And uh, subtitles it was. Yeah. Fair. You should put that part in. That was good. We should, we should move that into the show. Oh, I already stopped recording. Ah, oh, damn you. Maybe that'll be the expen- special extended Mike of the Movies edition on the Incomparable. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's the second cut. It's the, the final, the uh, final cut of this episode. Mm-hmm. Release it as an alternate version. That would be fitting, wouldn't it? That would be kind of funny, actually. Okay, so a couple of months ago, uh, me and Jason watched Blade Runner for Mike at the movies because whilst Jason wasn't a huge fan of the movie, I wanted to see it. I felt like it was an important one. To see, because uh, it has a, a lot of uh, geek cred. Neither of us were really crazy about the movie. I, I don't think that we necessarily, well, I speak for myself, I don't think we necessarily disliked it, but it, it didn't sit high up in the overall ranking uh, of Mike at the Movies movies. John Syracuse heard this um, and demanded that we watch the final cut and talk about it with him. So, John... Why are we doing this? I'm not so sure I demanded it. In fact, that, I remember mm-hmm. fearing, I remember being afraid that you guys were going to watch Blade <laughs> Runner and Mike at the movies, because like, Jason doesn't really like it that much, and you have weird taste in movies and are so young and impressionable, and I didn't, it just didn't seem hey. like it was going to be the, one of those ones where you're like, uh, you know, dumping on a movie that I like, essentially. But but I was pleasantly surprised that both of you seemed pretty even-keeled about the movie, even though neither one of you were, were big fans. But... You did watch the theatrical release, which I think was Mike's sort of misguided notion that he wants to watch like the one that everybody saw. Right. Nobody saw yeah. the theatrical release because when it was in theaters, nobody went to see it because it was not a successful <laughs> movie. Right? Okay. Um, I, I feel like the one that has all the cachet, well, I guess the theatrical one it does in terms of like set design or whatever, but like that this is one of the first movies where it was really important to the biggest fans of the movies that you watch a different cut. Like uh, this obviously wasn't the first director's cut, but it was sort of the most prominent director's cut among geeks that you know do you know a movie that has a theatrical release and a director's cut and it's like oh yeah blade runner and of course you have to watch a director's cut of blade runner that was that was the really important thing to do um i think the director's cut was like the 10-year anniversary of the movie or whatever but it's one of those movies that you know it's a cult classic and it, it was not it was not successful in its release but it just grew in stature over the years that became clear all the things that all the other movies that it had influenced um 
So yes, you got out of the way, you watch a theatrical one, but I think it is important to watch the one that everybody loves, essentially. The one that when people say, oh, Blade Runner, I love that movie, they're not talking about, for the most part, the theatrical release. They're talking about this other one. Um, and I guess you got the authentic experience of watching a theatrical one, and now you have the experience of watching what I think is the better, one, one of the better cuts, and seeing <laughs> the movie that everybody is raving about, which is... Uh, I feel like different in two very important ways than the theatrical. So I want to talk about the differences and then maybe we can talk about just the movie itself and and a little bit about why you love it, John. But I want to make sure that I'm following this correctly. So obviously the big, uh, what I assume is the biggest difference is the end, right? There's no happy ending. There's no driving off, which is just, which I really didn't like in the original. Like it felt so strange and out of place, right? Like we're driving down this road. Literally stuff shot for another movie. Yeah. Yeah. The two, do you want me, that's not the, one of the two big differences that I was referring to. Do you want me to tell you what they are or should you? Yeah. Tell me what they are. Tell me what they are. So, I mean, you know, this one, I'm sure you're going to get to it next. There's no voiceover, right? Yeah. 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 So that's, that's the, obviously the most prominent one because the voiceover is so, so integral to the first one. Right. And yeah, I didn't miss it either, right? Like, I, yeah. you know, I mean, I have already seen the movie, so obviously it helps me understand what's going on. Because, like, I do find this to be a very confusing movie. Like, the story is, I think, difficult to follow at points, especially, like, in the first 30 minutes. Um, but I don't know if the voiceover particularly helps with that. You've got a little bit of Lex Friedman disease where you find movies confusing just inherently. <laughs> and I feel like there should be some remedial course for you and Lex to just like following along with the plot of movies. I have to admit that actually in this version, um, which I'm going to just come out and say is the most I have enjoyed watching Blade Runner. Um, <laughs> the uh, I think the uh, plot is fairly straightforward. Like I, I didn't have I, I think it's maybe it's because I've seen it enough times now that I know what to look for. But it's like literally there are these escaped replicants and they are trying to find a way to extend their lives and there's a guy who's going to kill them and that's kind of it is he's methodically chasing them down and they're methodically doing their thing and that's kind of it yeah but mike get, mike gets hung up on the details that you want to understand yeah. like mm-hmm. i don't want something to be shown and not explained because it's like is is i think it's like the not knowing what's important, not knowing what what's not important, or wanting every wanting to understand everything you see and not allowing it to just be like just just accept it that people have umbrellas with light up handles, just accept it. Like just it's not important to the movie. Just move on. I know this frustrates you. I know this frustrates you. But when like when I say confusing, like the plot of the movie is fine, but like I have questions about the world. And, and, oh sure. And that, that's important to me, right? Like, the world-building thing is important. Why is it raining so much in Los Angeles? Yeah. <laughs> Just all these things about, like, you know, wh- who is Tyrell? What, why does, like, robots seem to be outlawed? And so I, I think this is kind of what people, when they talk about, like, that a larger world is hinted at within a movie, they said about a lot of things, where you'll see a movie and then it'll have a story in a world, but then people will say uh, also for books, they'd be like, but, but the world is so rich. You see hints of such a, a larger world that there could be other stories in this world behind it. Like, and what most people describe as an attractive quality, hinting at a larger world beyond the realm of the story, right? You, uh, describe as confusion in that there is a larger world behind the story that I don't know anything about. And you find that unsettling rather than enticing. Yeah. Well, okay, I would say there's a mix of it, like with some movies. Like I wouldn't say that I, I I wouldn't say that like I only find it that way, but like I in this movie I feel like there are just questions that I have which 
I, I, I can't come to understand and it frustrates me like, uh, you know, about the replicants and like, they seem to be like illegal, but yet there's a man that everybody knows makes them. Like, it's just, uh, I have just these, these hangups about this movie, which I struggle to get my head around. I think I can help you with some of those because they are, they are in the movie. If you've seen it uh, enough times or once and pay yeah. a lot of attention um the second hey. so that's that, so that's one one is voiceover yeah and the second most mm-hmm. important change and and I, by the way before we get into more of these details is that i recommended the final cut just because it's the one i had seen the most recently if i don't know the difference between the final cut and the director's cut i tried to google it to see like I what the significant differences Th- are there are not a lot of significant differences uh ridley scott was approved the director's cut but he actually was unhappy with some things and they finally budgeted for him to go in and make some of the changes but they're pretty pretty minor timing yeah, things like, like cleaning and, cleaning up special effects yeah and, and some alter- you know, the, the 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 unicorn dream is extended um uh pris pulls on his nose when she's attacking him which doesn't happen yeah. in the director's cut but it's not it's not why huge. does he feel the need to put that in like it's so well, strange to me right, so yeah, the well, nose that's pulling. what i'm saying like and again the only reason i recommended the final cut instead of a director's cut was just because I had seen it most recently, and when I watched it, the looks final way cut, better. It looks yeah. way better. When I better. watched the final cut, my impression was uh, I didn't notice any differences from the director's cut upon watching the final cut, and it looked really good. Yeah. So that's my go-to mm-hmm. now, yeah. basically. All right, but but the second difference, the second difference, you got no voiceover, and the second difference is that the final cut and the director cut are unambiguous about the fact that Deckard is a replicant. Yeah. That is yeah. super important. It's not that there's a happy ending or a sad ending. It's that the whole point of the movie, like it colors the whole movie backwards and forwards, like the end of The Sixth Sense, right? That it ripples backwards through the whole movie. It's a different movie when it is not clear that Deckard is a replicant. Uh, it's not. I don't think it's even hinted at in a theatrical one. It's just not like, that's a different movie. I like the movie where he's a replicant. That is an entirely different movie. It colors the whole movie for me. It's not just like happy ending versus sad ending. And so those two things... The voiceover, which I found cloying and his performance really stilted and I think is totally unnecessary and takes away from the things I like about the movie, and the fact that Deckard is a replicant. Those are the two biggies for me. So I definitely felt that more, but like I was wondering if I felt that way because I'd found out afterwards, right, about like the, how it's intended. Like, what are the hints? Like, I mean, I know that there seem when I'm watching the movie, it feels that way, but I'm not sure what the specifics are, which make it clear that he is one. I was going to say also for as background here, um, Harrison Ford uh, felt, felt and I think feels that Deckard is not a replicant. The screenwriter wanted it to be an uh, open question, but Ridley Scott prefers that Deckard is a replicant. So he, in making his version of the movie and his 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 final. Cut but he's amped that part up. I, I am not, I'm a dissenter on Deckard being a replicant. I think that one of the themes is, uh, affinity with the replicants and whether they're human or not and whether they're sentient or not and what that means and the questioning ourselves as the sort of viewpoint of Deckard and whether it matters and is he human or not I think is part of I I, I really like the ambiguity of it and so I'm not I I actually don't believe that it is definitive and I I refuse to go down that route I think it's an open question it's definitive I feel like in the the director and final cut but like it's it's important for us all it's important that the writer uh wanted it to be ambiguous because that means unlike harrison ford the writer put stuff in the movie in that direction yeah. even in a theatrical cut right so so it's not like a retro you know like uh what do you call it uh retroactive continuity retcon, yeah there you go um where you take a movie that was made one way and you pretend it's something different 
in the movie are the important themes that that lay the groundwork for this, right? You've got Deckard testing, uh, what's her name? Sean Young. Or is that it, her name? Yeah, yeah. Sean Young. Um, what's her name in the movie? Rachel? Rachel. Um, yeah. You've got that test. You've got the fact, you've got after the fact, like the fact that she's being tested and she doesn't, how can she not know what she is? She doesn't know what she is, right? That we don't, we as the audience don't know uh, when the test begins, but we eventually figure it out and then he figures it out, right? And uh, Jason's right that one of the major themes of the movie is like the replicants. Do we, uh, can we relate to them? Are, you know, are we different from them because they're human? Uh, you know, like just the, the affinity between like, oh, do you really separate yourself so much from these, from these replicants? Are they so different just because they were made? Are they really different than us? Can we, can we feel kinship with them in any way? And that's in the movie, whether Billy Deckard's a replicant or not. The, the fact that you have that scene early where both the audience and Harrison Ford are fooled is the eventual thing that leads you to the ending thing where, okay, well, how, how can she not know what she is? How can Deckard not know what he is? Um, and his affinity for the replicants, you know, it, it turns on like affinity for yourself. Like it's the ultimate one that exactly. works on the audience. Like, what if you were a replicant? What, what if it's like, oh, now suddenly, it, you know, in the same way that you, you, it's suddenly easy to have empathy with the replicants when you realize that you were one. And the whole time you felt like a person, a legitimate person, you never questioned it. And what if we were to tell you that you are a replicant too? Um, and what makes it definitive in the director's cut and in the final cut is the unicorn dream. Um, so the fact that, like, you know, when Rachel comes and she's insistent that she's real, that she had parents and she has memories and whatever, and Deckard's like, let me, you know, rattles off a bunch of stuff she never told anybody. He's like, they're, they're Tyrell's niece's memories. Like, yeah. Deckard knows them. It's like, you think they feel like they're your memories, but they're not. Like, I, I know about them. Let me rattle them off to you, right? So... The unicorn dream we see Deckard have, where he's like drunk at his piano or whatever and falls asleep and he dreams about a unicorn. He's dreaming about Ridley Scott's Legend, which is a really weird movie that you might want to watch, uh, but is not as good as Blade Runner. Um, uh, unicorn, uh, you know, running through the fields or whatever. Um, and what's his name? Edward James uh, Olmos, uh, who's uh, Gaff, Adama, I think. Yeah, yeah, Adama from Battlestar uh, is doing the little origami th- things all the time. He drops off the little origami uh unicorn. unicorn deckard never told him about his unicorn dreams how would he know about deckard's unicorn dreams the same way that deckard knows about her weird dreams and the spider and all the other stuff or whatever because they were implanted because he's a replicant now it could be 100 percent coincidence that he dreams about a unicorn and that this guy just happens to do unicorn origami but that is amazing coincidence there's a much simpler explanation and that's why it's kind of the nail nailing this down is you are a replicant here you know we know that you're a replicant you didn't know until now uh and i'm being nice and letting you guys go free for whatever you know will happen after that elevator door closes we don't know so it's an ambiguous ending not a sad ending but it's not a, you know a happy ending uh but deckard deckard now realizes that he, he sees the unicorn he looks at it he picks it up he has that realization and then they're just out of there yeah do we know yet how this is working in the sequel Blade Runner 2049. Oh, uh, like, let's, let's not think about it. Uh, yeah, well, I do. I, I, I have to admit that was one of the things that always confused me is if they do a sequel that's set with an aging Harrison Ford, then that suggests that they, that they're making a statement either that he is a replicant that ages or he wasn't a replicant after all. But I, I, I'm, yeah, I feel like that is. Let's not let sequels affect. Talk about retroactive continuity affect your view of the existing movie. So I want to say um, the ending always seemed weird to me, and um, it actually reminded me about how they did a cut of Brazil that has a weird 
love conquers all i think they call it ending it's like what are you doing uh did you see the movie and so i really like how this ends with them getting into the elevator i don't think yeah i i guess i i saw the director's cut at one point so i've seen i've seen this but my memory of it all my memories of blade runner are of the original um because i saw that several times and i i have to say it i love having no voiceovers it feels like a very different movie um and i get why some people like the voiceover because it gives it that kind of film noir feel but i gotta say um i i like it without because then it feels really weird and atmospheric and you have to figure Mm -hmm. it out and it feels more like a science fiction movie and it feels more about the the images because let's let's be honest here this movie is more notable because of how it looks than the words people say in it there are some great words in it some memorable words some things i quote all the time but um I think the voiceover makes it seem like even more like this is a movie really about me telling you things about this world. And it's totally not. It's about showing me the world and letting me see these visions of these huge billboards that are animated for different products and things that I don't even understand what they're advertising. And the the little air cars moving around, which are great. The fact that Tyrell Corporation is like a like a big pyramid, basically. It's this ridiculous monstrosity. But then at ground level, everything is dirty and and mixed up like that's what it's about so i'm i'm actually really happy that the voiceover is gone i like it better without i think it's a much better movie without it there and it looked so great so um like i said i enjoyed it a whole lot more even though i'm one of those people who thinks that you still have to do a little bit of work to prove uh you know if deckard's a replicant why other things happen in the movie and likewise you could probably do a little bit work to explain why maybe that unicorn doesn't mean what what it actually means um it's ambiguous enough that i'm happy to embrace the ambiguity i actually prefer it ambiguous because then you know it's making the point that um if you it's the point of deckard which is if you don't even know about your own humanity and yet you're judging them for theirs um i guess the implication too john correct me if i'm wrong is that is that deckard and certainly rachel are like next gen replicants they're nexus seven right yeah well that, that's the whole point they're nexus they're nexus seven well here's rachel is nexus seven that's why she doesn't know because it's a new thing they're trying giving them memories and backstories and not letting them know right i always assumed that deckard was like nexus eight or whatever uh, right that like to get the other replicants you need the best replicant like so he's either nexus seven or nexus eight yeah and maybe right? that's maybe that's, that's why he's different and why he's more human-like and um you know and potentially they'll retcon it that way for the right. sequel well, they too. don't have to retcon it because like in the theatrical release you remember how the theatrical release ends like so they know you know uh, ray uh roy batty and, and hall's crew like for your lifespan right yeah and you know mm-hmm. Nexus 7s are different, certainly different because Rachel doesn't even know what she is, right? So she's very different. And if he's Nexus 7 or Nexus 8, when they go off with the on the car driving down the green road with the weird ending and the voiceover, the voiceover says, basically says, I don't know long how long we have. Um, you know, I think he says something like, God, do any of us know or something right. like that? Like, idea like they don't know what they're not. They might have four-year lifespans or they might not. And the same thing with, uh, with uh, uh, you know, Edward J. Molos. What's his, what's his character's name? I'm so bad with character names. Gaff. Gaff says, it's too, it's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? Then again, who does? Right, well, nobody is basically saying nobody lives forever, right? You're all going to die. You just don't know when. Exactly. So I feel like both versions of the movie leave it completely open as to what is the lifespan of Rachel and... Uh, and Deckard. Deckard. We have we have no idea. So if they want them, and the fact that they age, again, it's clear that there is a biological component to them. Like, I design your eyes, and he's got these squishy eyeballs and everything. 
that all that stuff's got to age, right? Like they're not they're not Terminators inside. I there. noticed this time they talk about. I mean, he's a DNA artist, and they talk about the cells. So these are these are um, organic creatures, at least in part, right? They're not they're they're artificial, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're uh, that they've got metal parts. In fact, they may not. Right. They and may and be they're like entirely they're stronger and smarter right. in the same way a person could be stronger because yeah. you genetically designed them. It's like the snake. It's like a real snake, but it's got little. Which is why they're yeah. not a robot. Yes, but that's a different show. If if. Decker is a more advanced version of the Nexus line. Why did they make him weaker? So is he weaker? That's the question. I mean, he he does yeah, hold on to the edge of a building with like three fingers by all of the Nexus sixes, uh, right? Uh, like some just... of that. Yeah, right. So some of that is if you don't know your replicant, you are running an abject fear because you're not going to go toe to toe with them because you have the expectation that they can destroy you but if we look at what actually happens in the movie he never like tries to go toe-to-toe and fight him he gets his hand pulled through a wall and his fingers broken but you know anybody can break your fingers uh, and how could he stop them from breaking his fingers well probably not with his hand through a wall. he does hold on to the edge of a building by like three fingers which is in the rain mm-hmm. which is a thing a real person could not do <laughs> uh it's kind of like dumbo's feather if you had told him by the way you're a replicant and you're stronger like fight them and the second thing is maybe he's not stronger maybe part of the nexus seven and possibly nexus eight lines is you want them to think they're human closer, and if you made them super strong yeah. it would it would okay. be a giveaway also the the, the nexus uh, replicants that, that they're hunting are from off world and and the imp- there's a strong suggestion that they're they've been engineered for certain jobs like roy is a fighter uh, that's what he's yeah. for uh, okay. so of course he's going to be strong that doesn't and explain why the prostitute would be super strong it's but, true you know. it's true um i i was i was going to get there but yeah so there, there's a question like do they make them more robust for the off world colonies i want to ask that i think one of the fascinating things about this is there are the ads for go to the off-world colonies like they're trying to get people to to leave earth and i wonder does that mean they want people off of earth does that mean the off-world colonies are really bad and they need more people on them but they you know we don't really know anything about i, I think it means the off-world colonies are really expensive and everybody who's down there in the muck in los angeles would love to go to the off-world colonies but they can't afford it in the same way you see like billboards for go to hawaii or have a tropical vacation yeah sure we'd all love to have a tropical vacation but it costs too much money if you had enough money to get off of this crap hole that is the earth you would go to, presumably to the off-world colonies assuming the advertising could be deleted we don't know enough about the universe to know are the off-world colonies actually good or are they crap and they're trying to entice you to go there to be slave labor and that's what fascinates me about it yeah there's the conversation between pris and sebastian right where like it seems like he's not allowed because he has that sickness that makes him look old right like she's like why aren't you there is it because of the disease or whatever so like i always got the impression that it was like earth is ruined so we had to go and make nicer places to live. Like right. that's how I always yeah. have viewed it, right? Because he wasn't allowed because there's something wrong with him, right? But it's never said. It's only hinted at, which I I kind of love mm-hmm. that you have to fill in the get. You have to guess about what this world is like, and, and it's communicated by advertising, like oppressive advertising. That again, I like the idea that these giant billboards with these attractive looking people, you know, with all the, the their geisha makeup and all this other stuff, like, and you're just in this presumably acid rain in this crappy yeah. dark city, yeah. right? eating noodles at the bar like but always these ads are in your face constantly letting you know what it is that you you can't have nailed it is this movie colored differently uh it looks and then the theatrical it, it looks like the, the, yeah. they did some color timing on it that it, that it's i yeah. saw some side by sides where even from the director's cut that they've done some work to get the it looks like it's been maybe regraded 
um, not, I think, I think more just to get it be consistent because modern technology lets them do that. I'm not sure it was like, uh, let's change it to look different so much as like Ridley Scott said, I know how, the, how we make movies now. Can we get this to be all uniform and so it is well and also like it's a very dark movie right and it's actually very difficult to make a dark movie because especially when you were doing on film like this was it's a fine line between this is a dark scene and i can't see anything right and so digitally it's much easier nowadays and they can take the film and try to tweak it so the scene like you want the blacks to be inky black but you want to be able to see what the hell's going on and if there's any difference, I imagine the original one, the blacks weren't quite inky because if they made them inky, everything else in the scene would be all blacked out too and you wouldn't be able to see anything. And now, digitally, you can you know adjust the curves and get it just the way you want it. I still don't like the last part of the movie. I don't, you don't, I like, don't like the, the, I don't, the confrontation? Uh, the, run, the running around? No. no, the running around, the screaming, the howling. Um, I, I don't, I don't like, like the it. The Daryl Hannah thing is really unpleasant. I, I just, yeah. And it's, and it's, but it's purposefully unpleasant. And when he kills her, it's slow and he has to like keep shooting her because she's writhing and, and, and she screams and, and she flails around. This is one of the things she flails around. I mean, kind of like a machine. Yes. You know, yeah. like in, like forcefully and in a way that you would think a, a human wouldn't, which is at odds with the, the biological, supposed biological nature of it. But that, that's, I feel that's part of this movie. There's a lot of things that are, that are off-putting and the final the final scene and the shooting and all that stuff on all the violent parts are a great contrast to the rest of the movie especially without the voiceover which not only is slow but without the voiceover there are long stretches where nobody says anything yeah. where there's no dialogue at all and you know it's not just like that it gives you more time to look at the scenery it's that the movie slows down even more like you know the, one of the things i like about the movie is it sort of lulls you into this zen state where you're not like come on come on what's the next plot point um and you get into that state and then they they throw in like a scene with a you know the woman running through the glass or some violence the violence stands out more in contrast to the rest of the movie where everything is slow and i, I think it works yeah they're, they're just i just got just the howling i can't yeah like it it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me and i know that so one of the reasons we're doing this is because me and john were talking about this at wwdc right and you said to me that like uh, the howling is meant to show like a primal thing, right? It's why he takes all of his clothes off and he's howling because he's 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 on the way out, right? Like he's dying, he's becoming more primal. He's also kind of a predator hunting his prey, and the idea there that mm-hmm. the yep. replicants are what's next, and that the humans are going to be, you know, eaten by the replicants. I think, and, is, and he wants to be scary. This is what it's like it's to true. live in fear, right? He wants to he wants to scare Deckard, and he's going a little bit nuts towards the end of it. It's kind of like if you know if you had twenty four hours to live, what would you do? So you know go crazy right so he's 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 enacting revenge he's he's teaching a lesson <laughs> so. like he could kill that's the other thing that mike was confused about i think when we talked about it was that could he have killed deckard presumably yes like at many points he could have killed him. he's toying with him he's like it's the reason he leaves him alive he, why didn't you you know you could have killed deckard but you didn't you saved him you picked him back up onto the roof and you gave your little speech and everything right he's not trying to kill him he wants him to see what it's like to live in fear and he wants to go out with a bang uh which he essentially does why though uh, one scene that that I think in 1982 or whenever this when was this movie made 1982 that you could you can get away with that from 2017 made me very uncomfortable is uh, Rachel wants to leave Deckard's apartment and he blocks her and pushes mm-hmm. her back yeah, like and fo- and forces nope. himself on her and you know what. 
it was intended to be oh this is this she's reluctant and he's forcing things and you know it was meant to be read a certain way that is not um not how it can be read now and i find that i'd find that unpleasant so that was a very difficult scene to watch if they made it today they could make it exactly the same way but the lesson would be that deckard's not the greatest guy right whereas before the lesson was supposed to be that deckard is a man's man yeah right? and, so he's, and he's, he just needs to show her that it's okay to to love him by telling right. by by barring the door and telling her what to say to him like right which ugh. is which is a fine dynamic to have in the scene in terms of like uh, she's afraid, and he doesn't want her to be afraid. The way to do it is not to physically assault her, right? Yeah. So, that, like, in a modern movie, if they were trying to have that outcome of the scene, she's afraid of her feelings for him, they would talk about it, and he would, he would say, you know, they have that scene in a million movies, like, you know, you, I know you have feelings for me, but you're afraid of them, and let me convince you that you should give in to them, right? Not by physically restraining you, yeah. but using my mouth words. Yeah, so that, that, does, that doesn't, uh, I'm going to say that doesn't hold up, it's like, I'm going to say that doesn't convey the thing that the movie makers wanted to convey exactly right the way you know we've changed right but if you read it if you say okay well ignore that and just read it in the modern sense it just makes decker a less likable person but it's entirely realistic because dynamics like that happened all the time because people are bad sure it's just that the movie doesn't (laughs) want us to judge him that way and that's the that's where you get that that uh, dissonance happening so that was yeah he could have he could have like gone i mean that's another scene that they could have changed or edited in a different way but uh Either the people making the movie still think that it's a manly man thing to do, or they didn't want to go like uh, Steven Spielberg, E.T. walkie-talkie, and say, look, this is the movie This is the movie we made. That's it. These are the people that we were. This is the time. You know, Roger Ebert it. did a, a great movies about this movie, um, and he, he was always um, not, a, not a huge fan. I think his feelings about it are kind of like mine, which is, it is brilliant, and it needs to be considered part of the canon, but um, you know, I, even Harrison Ford has said he, he doesn't find it, he's never really warm to it. He thinks it's beautiful, but that you know it's it, 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 making an emotional connection it's not that kind of movie and i, I think that's true but I, I, ebert wrote that th- this is very just deliberately not george lucasing this movie right it's just like this is the movie they made and it just it looks better but it's the, it's still not any different uh, more or less from the movie that that he wanted to make the effects got cleaned up but there's they're, they're the same effects they're not new effects and they did a couple of digital things where they had like a continuity problem but they didn't add anything to the scene they more like wiped some things out that that were wrong to just make it cleaner and so yeah you leave that scene in and it's just this is what that's the scene that's in the movie in 1982 and and yes we don't think that way now and that's that's just part of uh the part of the thing i wanted to also mention rutger hauer i you know i quote that speech of his all the time and john you believe it or not i i mostly get it right it's one of those speeches that i actually get right because i i'm really bad at quoting speeches from movies um this time what i noticed is the choices he makes as an actor are really interesting like the way he reads those lines because those lines are really cool you know the whole thing i have i've seen i've seen things you people wouldn't believe you know the whole thing and the way and he knows he's winding down and he this is his last statement before he dies and yet the way he the way he says those lines are like every line is said in an interesting way and uh and it's just it's a really cool speech but the performance is so weird and and i think inhuman in some ways and superhuman like like incredibly human in other ways and it's just like it's a really great um classic movie moment it's one of my favorite speeches in any movie is that um is that Rutger Hauer speech at the end right before Roy dies it's great 
Yeah, just like the way he says tears in rain is so strange. I, it is. <laughs> like, like the way he says the word rain, it's like there's more letters in it than there really is. It's very interesting. He's got the little ticks in the pauses. I mean, because he, yeah. he is, he's dying. It's winding right? down. So, yeah. 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 And so hearing you guys talk about this on, on the earlier episode, you know, and, and hearing Jason complain about it over the years and everything, like, I'm, I'm not, you know, this is not my world's favorite movie, but I always liked it. But hearing everybody say, oh, it's boring, it's long, it's weird, I kind of, like, started to get on board. I'm like, yeah, well, it's not it's not paced the way normal people want it to be, and it's not that great. But I have to tell you, rewatching it again for this podcast, I rewatch it again, I'm like, you know what, this is a fantastic movie. Like, I <laughs> I understand all, all, the, all the problems and the reason people don't like it. Uh, I, you know, I can see why they don't like it, but... I, overall, like I watched it again, and I was surprised by how much I still like it. Right, so that that was my impression of watching it again. And the other thing I, I think about this a lot is, despite basically the majority of the movie, like the, especially the long middle part, and especially without the voiceover where people fall asleep, you know, Jason falls asleep on his couch and everything. <laughs> uh, the opening scene to this movie with the interrogation is one of the best opening scenes of any movie ever. I feel like because like, it's so weird. Yeah, the the dialogue is so smart and and snappy, and there's so much tension, and it establishes the stakes and the world. I really feel like this movie doesn't because this movie is not about snappy dialogue. Like there's hardly any dialogue in it, and dialogue later in the movie starts to get weird and slow. And the people having conversations are either replicants or Sebastian, who's weird, or Tyrell, who's, who's weird. Um, but there are, I feel like the writing on this, there are some great scenes. The opening interview scene, the final speech at the end, uh, you know, uh, Tyrell, his, his little discussion with, with Roy, we made you as well as oh, we could. Oh, man, that is, yeah. And that that's another director's cut change where the dialogue, he says, I want more life, father, now, which is how it should have always been. It's a much better uh, line that way. But that whole conversation where Tyrell is legitimately saying you know we made you better you your life is shorter but you burn brighter and and there's some tenderness there right before roy squeezes his yeah, head into pulp. Before he gets a skull crush <laughs> but yeah yeah so th- anyway that's that's what i feel like because that's not what this movie is about it doesn't get credit for those parts of it. and i feel like there's some some of the best writing like like the speech at the end like not just for the performance but uh in so many movies that are trying to be like profound sci-fi type movies uh, they either go too abstract, where it's just like a uh, you know word salad that's supposed to mean something and it gets by with like the score and, and the effect, or too on the nose. And I feel like this, all the, the those the good dialogue scenes uh, strike a balance between let me be completely on the nose and explain to you in dummy terms exactly what's going on here, and let me be artful because the tears and rain speech explains it well enough that anybody watching it understands what's going on there what is he saying about his life what is he trying to tell deckard right but it is also artful and the yes. same thing with the with the interrogation scene where they don't tell you you know he's, he's undergoing this test why are they asking him these questions you don't know why he's asking these questions it's a really good snappy back and forth lots of tension ending in him getting shot they should really should have checked him for guns before <laughs> he went into the interview um and magically being thrown back from the table which makes no sense uh, but there's a reason those scenes are famous. There's a reason, you know, like the turtle wire and you're flipping it over. You yeah. Know, you, you know, the tortoise, what, you know what a turtle is? Same thing. And the smoking, oh God, you got to love the smoking. Like, it's just, we haven't figured that it's out. It's not even it. like what smoking actually looks like. It's like very <laughs> no, it's purposefully these huge puffs of smoke with the light. They've got that horizontal, mm-hmm. like the sunlight coming in the room. So it's all meant to just make it, again, kind of noirish and super weird where they want it to fill the room and so that you can see the light.
light filtered through it and it's all very stylized yeah the pacing where he's asking questions or whatever and he just plows forward and making him ask or whatever and then after he plows forward he says an answer to your query they're written down for me because he had asked earlier about right. do you make up these questions or like oh, i love that just scene. being helpful I love it that guy helpful guy and then yeah. he, he, he is dead <laughs> let me tell you about my mother like what I like about those questions is that they'd make me feel uncomfortable watching mm-hmm. them, right? Because they're just like, "What is this like weird nonsense?" That's what this movie is. Like ultimately, I think what's cool about this movie and what's great about this movie is that's what it is. It's all about. It's set up as being humans and replicants, and we got to find the replicants and kill them. And we don't even call them kill them; we just retire them. But in the end, what it's really talking about is people, right? It, it, it is the replicants are just our story at a different pace. The whole point of of Roy's speech at the end is he's just talking about mortality. He's not talking about being a robot. He's talking about being a person who has collected memories through their lives. And at the end, they realize that they die and all of his experiences will be lost like tears and rain. And that's it. And he's not talking about it because he's a robot man. He's talking about life and death. And the, this whole movie, you know, that's the trick of it is it's wrapped this whole thing about you know this future dystopia kind of looking place and these robots that we're after and all of that and in the end you know it it, that's not what it's about it's about looking at them and not seeing ourselves and i think like also with the decorative replicant angle it's about the value of your own life to yourself is that based on an externality is it based on your understanding that well at least i'm not a robot that's why my life is valuable <laughs> like or you know what if what if my memories are manufactured do i feel any less myself or any any less we would say any less human right um because that's one of the things that everybody in the movie eventually has to face or consider is you know that a, their mortality that everything's going to go away and be their their value like if i'm only valuing myself because I know that I'm human. I'm not like those others. Like it's there. You could go in a million different directions with how that what what you want to what that's an analogy for in the modern world. But they all. I mean, Rachel struggles with it. It's her main struggle. Even the the escape replicants struggle with it because they want they want to be they want to live and not just because they want to live. They want to be like everybody else. Like why do, why do I only get four years and you get longer? Uh, and you know it's not fair that some people live longer than others. And like this, there's, there's a lot in this movie to dig out and it's it's amazing that the the movie works in some fashion whether he's a replicant or not i just like the additional layer not the the sort of twist or gotcha but the additional layer on top of that and i like it so you're like i don't like it when you know uh, don't want it to be nailed down i feel like it's not ambiguous but it is ambiguous in that people don't follow along with movies that well like in the same way that total recall is not ambiguous about the ending of that movie which is an entire other discussion it seems ambiguous to people because it doesn't hit you over the head with it. You have to put two and two together with the unicorn thing. And conceivably, if you don't understand probabilities and, and filmmaking, you'd be like, well, what if you just happened to pick a unicorn that day? Like, <laughs> what if they just happened to show us a unicorn? Like, it, it's, you know, but, but it doesn't come out and say, Deckard, you know, says, that's when I realized I was a replicant. Like, he never says that, or no one says it to him, or there's no realization other than just a look on his face, right? And then, the, you know, he's out there in the elevator. So I, I like that for, again, walking the line between being on the nose and, and being subtle. And that's exactly what I want out of, out of a movie. I want, it to, I want it to flatter my intelligence by not uh, spelling things out for me, but I want it to be comprehensible so that I follow along. Like, everyone wants that. They want to be right on the edge. Like, you want it to, be, you want to feel good for figuring it out, uh, but you don't want it to be so difficult that you have to, like, read a web page to do so. So, I mean, I would say overall, like, I feel better about this movie than I did before. Like, there's still stuff in it that just, it's just weird to me. Um, 
but the the ending and and stuff like that and the, the removal of the voiceover, I find it just to be more to my tastes. Um, and I still think that this movie is beautiful. Like it's even more beautiful. Like it, in in this one, mm-hmm. I, I just found the visuals to be even more compelling. So I mean, I like this movie. I do. I do like it. Uh, I, it's just not one of my favorites, and I don't think it ever will be. Yeah, I I, I second that. That it's. I think uh, going back to I don't I don't make an emotional connection with this movie, so I appreciate yeah, it, exactly. but I don't love it. Uh, but I appreciate it for what it is. And the fact is, I have seen it like five times now. So <laughs> you know, <laughs> there must be something there. Is it five full times though? Oh yeah, no, I, like my, two, two and my, three. No, Laura, or Lauren falls asleep. I don't fall asleep. I get sleepy while I'm watching it. But but right. when I've shown it to Lauren, she's falling asleep every time. So I don't do that anymore. I watch this by myself. So I never, I don't list, put this on my list of favorite movies. Not because it's dark, because I do like a lot of dark movies, but because it does, you know, it does have the all the things that we've talked about. They sort of, you know. Uh, pacing unevenness and some of the weird dialogue choices in the middle and and, you know and in general it's not as grand or epic or sweeping as you know some of uh, my favorite movies or not as like as perfect as some of like the miyazaki stuff is that that i put in there right but this stands in a category of movies that i remember seeing and noting their difference noting that they were they were different than other movies they were they were weird outliers like there's a lot of movies that are like this a lot of them do become cult classics that yeah maybe they're not the best movies but they do certain things so differently than their contemporaries that they stand out and then you take notice you're like oh wait a second like i thought you know a lot of times you go you watch a movie you kind of know what to expect like oh it's a, it's an action movie it's comedy i've seen a bunch of these i kind of know the formulas you know of the contemporary movies that are going to be like that and when one of them comes out and it is different it it's sort of stands aside and i was always attracted to that as a kid whether it's uh, you know japanese animation that i would see and note note the difference like oh this isn't this doesn't look like the animation on saturday morning cartoons it is is different in a really important way and it set it aside blade runner is like that the movie making is different of course you discussed in the past episode how influential the sort of dark future design was that we now see everywhere this was the 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 first and most influential instance of that that ripple through history like that's why I set it aside. But yeah, in the, in the Pantheon of movies, it's not up there with like The Godfather and Kiki's Delivery Service and The Empire Strikes Back because it's just not as good a movie as those. But it is as important a movie and that it goes off on this other shelf with me of like these weird movies. I don't know. I don't know how I categorize them. Like they stand out in history. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like they're they're like icons. And that when I watch them originally and when you watch them now, they're like, you know, this is so different than its contemporaries. Mr. Syracuse, thank you for joining us today for all of the wonder that you have brought to this episode. Where can people find you online and, and follow your work and, and such? Well, I have a website that I write on almost once a year called oh, hypercritical.co. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, at Syracuse. Uh, and I do a bunch of podcasts on various networks uh, that if you go to hypercritical.co and click on about, you can find links to all of them.